Okay, then verse chapter 8, verse 4 to 6. Okay, remember, 1 to 3 was showing the overall reason why Israel was uh, judged. Because as they were contaminated with the world, they transgressed the covenant. And so look, when you look at the prophets, uh, the, the w- w- sin that is always um, coming across Israel is idolatry, and idolatry ultimately is deification of your desires. And so throughout the book of Hosea, you will see the, this phrase come out often, even in verse 4. Uh, they set up for themselves, right? They set up, they set up. And so the idols, idolatry is the focus. And so if you live for yourself, automatically you are serving idols. When you live selfishly, you can't help but live for your own desires. And so these words they set up for themselves. This is the definition of idols. And throughout this book, you will see these words being repeated over and over again. So when you live for yourself, you when you live for your own benefit, you can't help but live in greed. And that greed in itself is idolatry. And idolatry is living by the standards of the world. And so for us, the easiest way to understand what idolatry is, is that in our times, if you live by the world, if you live by Babylon, that is idolatry. And there are many reasons why uh, we will be damned if we live by Babylon. But ultimately, it's because that in itself is idolatry. Look at sports, brothers. Right? Sports is exercise. It's good for you, right? But when it comes to organized sports, where what is the root of all that? It's all idolatry, right? It was all uh, symbolic representation of, of idolatry. And so it is all about pleasure. Pleasure. And so when we talk about idolatry in the Old Testament, uh, how can you interpret it in these times? It's the world, right? Because you are focused on your desires. And so when you are selfish, even though you may attend church, you're not serving God, but rather you're serving Baal. And uh, at the best, serving teraphims, household gods. Right? Serving a certain god, whatever the name may be, that is just simply a deification of your desires. That's why it is such a terrifying fact to uh, danger to live by yourself. Because what is the definition of wicked people, wicked men in Habakkuk? It is those who live for themselves. The definition of the wicked in the Bible is those who live for themselves. And so this self is the old self, right? The old self. Those who live by the impulses of the flesh. Uh, 
And so if you ignore this old self to grow within you, it's going to grow to the point where it builds idolatry inside of you. And through that channel, you live by the standards and the methodology of the world. And so the reason why this world is fading away, is rotting away, is because everyone lives for themselves. And so though there are many kinds of governments in the world, there's actually only two kinds. One is God king or are you king? Is your, is your choice is between, one, between these two. And so for the past 24 years, what I've been continually proclaiming in Zoe ministry is to put yourself to the death. Because without putting the self to the death, the kingdom of God cannot come upon you. What does it mean to live by the kingdom of heaven? It means that you do not live by yourself. If you live by yourself, it means you are not living by the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven signifies God's dominion. And as it says in Romans 8, 5, that if you are, you resist the kingdom of heaven because you live by the flesh. If you live by the flesh, you are rebel against the kingdom of heaven. And so you you are living as an enemy to God, but don't recognize it. And whenever you are an enemy to someone, that that becomes that that person becomes torture to you, right? A thorn at your side. But if God is your enemy, what hope is there? There's no hope, right? And so you got to uh, immigrate to hell if God is your enemy. Ah, mm. Okay, so let's continue. Okay, and so verse 4 to 6, talking about the politics and the political situation and the religious situation. And so look, ultimately because Israel lived for themselves, that everything in their nation is wickedness. Whether they're democracy or a monarchy, whatever it may be, anything that is under the dominion of fallen man is covered in wickedness, is covered in evil. And so there is no hope in any kind of political form. Do not hope in politicians. And so as it says in 2 Samuel 7, 4, that what is the, uh, the law for man is to establish one king. And who is that? It is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. When he reigns, that is the law of the land, law of mankind. That when he reigns, that reign alone is perfection. And so we need to yearn for that kingdom. Amen, brothers? That the constitution for man uh, the, 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 uh, would quickly be established because he alone is perfect. He alone truly loves us. He alone is great. He is our everything. Amen? And so we will yearn for his reign, for his dominion to quickly come. And the more you live by God, the less and less you want to live on this earth. If you are enjoying your life on this earth more and more, that is a problem. And so you got to be clear in these two facets. 
that because you yearn for God so much, because you love God so much, that you want that time where you will see him face to face to hurry up and get here, that you want this age to end as soon as possible. That's, that's the first facet that must fill you up. And the second thing is, is that this world needs to be a nuisance to you. Because this world is does not deserve righteousness and cannot handle righteousness. It is so difficult, or not difficult, but it is so not worthy of the righteous ones that live on this earth. And so whatever facet it may be, if you think that, wow, this world is paradise, then that is a problem. And so I say to the young adults all the time, that you should taste God before you taste the world. Make sure you taste God. You got to know the taste of God, the goodness of God. <coughs> Excuse me. And so because if you um, get used to foods that are saturated in various flavors like sugar or, or fats and various um, spices, then you will never ever know the freshness of the original ingredients. And that's actually the reason why I like Chinese food a lot. Chinese food doesn't really um, marinate their, their ingredients, but rather on strong fire with a little bit of oil and using uh, just the ingredients themselves. So bringing out the flavor of the ingredients itself. But Korean food is getting so sweet and so salty and so spicy. And so whenever I eat Korean food, my stomach uh, get, throws a fit. And yet all over the world, people like Korean food, right? P Korean food is kind of becoming the trend. It's because they don't know what's real, what's, what's real food. Food, it's about Chinese food. <laughs> And so the more you, sweet things you get used to, the more your stomach gets fooled because it feels that it's full, but it's not full. And so you lose nutrients. You lose out on nutrients. So you're being deceived. It's the same thing with light, brothers. When you receive relative lights, the absolute light of, of God fades away from you. What is your cell phones? Cell phones is a form of light, right? And this light can cause a lot of change within your character. For example, it's like this. The real color is white, but it looks like red. Right, this is done through uh, shifting of the primary colors. This is scientific fact, right? I'm not talking spiritual things. And so, when you look at your cell phones, the more you time you spend on your cell phone, the more confusion and deception seeps into you. Look at how much technology, how far technology has come. That the moment you take a photo, that photo already adjusts the way you look to look good. And so, if you get married to a woman based on her photo, that is a big mistake you're making. Right? It's all made. Through 
through uh, adjustment of light. Right. God originally, God um, gave man the function to see black white. I'm not talking about black white in terms of color, but I'm talking about light and darkness. Okay, black white. And so if you have the eyes to see the light and dark, then discerning of colors is, is become simple. And this is a spiritual thing that I'm spiritual truth that I'm describing right now. That we have been created to see light and darkness. And so actually, to be more clear, it's we have been designed to see light. And when we see light, we can see what has no light, which is darkness. But if you keep saturating yourself in color, you will keep being um, deceived. And so those of you who are saturated in your cell phones, uh, understand that you are being covered in in uh, in deception. And so to these kinds of people, uh, they will not understand what I mean when I say you s- I look at the face of God. I look upon His countenance. And so as it says in 2 Corinthians that though it may seem hazy right now, you need to look upon His face. And when you look upon His face, you will not see color. You will discern light, light and darkness. So light, right? To be more clear, it's not white. So when I say white, black, don't understand it in the context of color. Understand it in the context of light, okay? (coughs) Excuse me, I'm sorry. Remember in the Garden of Eden, Adam was naked. Why was he unashamed even though he was naked? Because at that time they were not discerning color, they were discerning light. And so when we look through the corrupted eyes of man, we say, oh, he's naked, how shameful. But but during the time of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't about color that they were discerning, they were discerning light. And so there was no shame in nakedness. Okay, am I speaking too high of a level? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I made a mistake in describing something that goes beyond your head. But anyways, ultimately, what we need to understand is that when we live by Babylon, we're continually receiving deceived information, false information. And so as you pray, you need to keep looking upon the face of God. And through that uh, looking, you receive the light of the gospel of God. And through that light, you receive his blood and his light and his grace and it washes your noose. So we need to be able to see light. When God created the heavens and the earth, what was the very first thing he created? Let there be light, right? Let there be light. That light isn't talking about the sun. He's talking about the fundamental light. That this essential light, this fundamental light was shining in the darkness. And so uh, it's a little bit awkward to express it, but... But before this universe was created, uh, this light, this true light shined. And and as it was created, it created order in the midst of chaos. And so when we fail to look upon that 
a true light. We are constantly under confusion. And so the more you look towards yourself, the more confused you are, the more anxious you are for, for no reason at all. Why? Because you are not looking at the true light, but looking at the light of the world. And so look here. There is glory in the gospel, yes? And we need to be able to see the light of that gospel because that light is the true light. Right? The Holy Spirit leads us from glory to glory, right? And so those who are filled with the Holy Spirit are continually looking at that light and they're continually radiating that light. And He alone can see the light that emanates from the face of God. And the one who looks at that light, because He looks at that light, He is safe and secure in that light. But the more you look at the light of the world, the more your spirit gets covered in darkness. And because your spirit is covered over in darkness, you are confused. Don't know where you are going. Don't know where to go. And so that's why you are always anxious and unsure of yourself and become powerless. And so it's because you have saturated yourself in the light of the world. And so when I say, look at the light of God, they don't understand what I'm saying. They don't understand what I say when I say, look at the radiance of his light. They don't understand when I say, look at the light of the gospel. I, they don't know what they say when the Holy Spirit leads you from glory to glory because you are saturated in the light of the world. You're constantly discerning colors, only colors. The world, the world of God is about light, not colors, light. And so that's why in the Garden of Eden, uh, if we discern colors, nakedness is shame. But when we think about it in light, nakedness is not shame. Okay, don't don't think about this too hard. Okay, just just receive it. Okay, and let's continue. So, what am I? What is my point? What am I trying to get at? Don't live by the light that radiates from Babylon. Okay, from the light of Babylon, it may tell you that this is good and this is a um, righteous thing but when the true light shines you see how evil it is how wicked it is that through these primary colors of, of, of the world we, we are so um, we are controlled by Babylon making blue white making red yellow that light in itself is deception and so what is deception it means that you are being deceived you are being lied to and when we live in the world we are under deception and that's why I say that if you live by the world you are stupid that's what I mean by stupidity if you live by the world you are foolish because you're constantly deceived just like when you take a candy a piece of candy your stomach is foolish you are not actually filled with good nutrients and yet you feel full and so if you receive the light of the world you think you're happy but you're not actually happy right that's why when you watch a movie you might feel happy in that moment but it doesn't go long does it you have to, and that's why you have to watch another movie right you have to keep being deceived, keep being deceived, keep being made more foolish and more foolish. And so shall we live by the world, brothers? Should we live by the world? Do you want to remain living in the world, brothers?
Okay, you gotta be say like, how annoying is the world? How new? How much of a nuisance is the world? Okay, you two were the same before you met with me, right? You love the world, but still, you still have a little bit of that leftover. That's why your son is a mama's boy. Are you challenging me? Okay, when you see the fact, you should repent, and yet you try to challenge. You still have a lot of rebellion remaining in you. Okay, but anyway, so let's turn to today's text, verse 4. So they made kings, but not through me. And so it's talking about all the various kings that are established after Jeroboam II, those who take power for themselves through coup d'etats. And so as I said, uh, this um, pleasure and control goes hand in hand. And especially brothers, we need to be careful. We have this desire for control, this desire for um, for authority. And so if you have that authority, that desire is strong inside of you, you will not get leadership. At times, it can masquerade itself as leadership, but true leadership raises other people up. But uh, the conquering spirit, the controlling spirit, puts others to death. And so especially from the perspective of pastors, this is something that you really need to be wary of. Okay, leadership comes from the fullness of Holy Spirit and it comes from the wisdom of God. And so that's why it says in Proverbs 8, it speaks of wisdom, right? And what is the essence of that wisdom? It is allowing God to reign. And God's reign allows us to reign over things and people and materials. And so servants of God that have leadership of God, they can establish the refuse of society in the caves of Adullam into become the leaders of Israel. And so if you get $1, you can make it into $10,000. That is the essence of leadership. Leadership comes through fullness of the Holy Spirit and through wisdom. But the desire to dominate comes from your, from your position, right? Uh, I'm the head pastor. I'm the CEO. That is the, that is the uh, desire to dominate, to rule. Remember, our God is creator God. He is the son of God. And he came to this earth, and did he ever once proclaim, I'm the son of God? You better not mess with me. No. He said, I'm the son of man. He doesn't allow his rule, his domination, his position to dominate the people around him. Right? This is, he influences people through the strength of the Spirit of God, through the wisdom of God. And so this is a clear reason why we need to remove the desire to dominate within us brothers. Because brothers, leadership is really important. The, uh, the presence of leadership in the church will change the destiny of that church. And so we need to have the leadership of the Holy Spirit in order for God's reign, dominion, to be over uh, the church. If we live by the desire of greed, uh, of rule and domination, lots of things, lots of other spirits will move, especially greed. Because remember, uh, leadership is about making $1 into $10,000. 
But the will to dominate is about possessing lots of things, possessing as much as you can. This is dangerous. And then there will also be lots of work of immorality. And that's where uh, you see many pastors fall, right, to immorality because of the desire of to dominate. And this desire of dominate uh, goes hand in hand with the desire of pleasure. And uh, in terms of difference between the sexes, um, men, we are more susceptible to the desire of pleasure than women, right? For example, there are women who like movies, but brothers, men, you are more uh, susceptible to movies. Sports, same thing, right? It's because men have this strong desire to dominate. That's why they have a strong desire for pleasure. But if men have a strong desire for domination, women have a strong desire of, of Jezebel because they try to control. They may not have the strength at, like men do, but but they are more wily in their ways, right? Where, where they, they try to control their husbands and use their husband's strength for their own means. And so the spirit of Jezebel doesn't go hand in hand with, um, with pleasure, but Jezebel likes to create atmosphere, right? Women, you are uh, very susceptible to atmosphere, right? The mood, right? So when you go to cafes, right? right? Famous cafes, they like to cater to women, right? They like to cater to women they, they because, because it's about atmosphere and mood. And so if you want to have a successful cafe, you need to have a good mood, right? And so look at these five here. You are very susceptible to mood, right? With a good, with low lighting, with a nice couch, pleasant music, and a brother that comes up and says, hey girl, what's up? Then you'll, you'll fall right over. <laughs> Acknowledge what needs to be acknowledged. Okay, you you would follow. Right. And so, brothers, these these ones they're easy. They're easy. Just take them to somewhere nice with a good mood and just be like, hey, let's get married, and then they'll fall right over head over heel for you. Okay, sisters, we are weak to to atmosphere. We are weak to mood. Right. This is the weakness of Jezebel. Uh, I'm teaching you guys too many things. I even showed you where our uh, sister's weak spots are. <laughs> and so they made kings. They set up princes. And so again, this princess is talking about uh, dominion. That they set up their own dominions. But I knew it not. Means that God did not give it to them. So it's not leadership, but the will to dominate. <laughs> and so in the spiritual realm, this issue of leadership is a very critical issue. And so all the leaders of history, the great leaders of history, they're not moving through the spirit of leadership. They're moving through the spirit of domination because leadership flows forth from God. And so... 
And what else is leadership? Leadership is the blessing that God has blessed man with when he created man. And so leadership is not optional. It's not a spiritual gift, but rather a blessing from God. Now, of course, in Romans 12, it does describe a spiritual gift of leadership. But this is from the context of the church. This is from the context of a church being established. But leadership in itself is an essential blessing that God has blessed man with to, to rule and subdue and control the earth. And so men were originally imbued with this leadership. And one of the reasons why men become greedy and greedier is because they lost the blessing of God. And leadership is something that we all must have. It's mandatory. Why? Because this is the most essential blessing that God gave man when he created man. And so as I said earlier, if you're a president of the company, you might obey that person because of his position, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean you respect him. It's the same thing with the church. The head pastor, right? His position. Because of his position, you are obedient. And then also, for from the perspective of associate pastors, because your salary comes from the head pastor, I'm obedient. But I'm not actually the one who pays them, do am I? And so it becomes this relationship between master and servant rather than calling. And then uh, overseer. Oh, overseer. Again, this, this is position, right? And so, oh, overseer, I got to be obedient to the overseer. This is a relationship between master and servant. The only master-servant relationship I should have is between me and God, not between me and the head pastor. We are brothers, right? But simply, our callings are different. That's all. Now, of course, that doesn't mean you should ignore spiritual authority, right? There is levels of authority, but we are brothers, and so that's why the essence of leadership is service, right? I serve you through the word because that is my calling. And so when we have leadership, we have service. With their silver and gold, they made idols for their own destruction. So again, here, for their own, for their own, this is the uh, definition of idolatry. It's for themselves, deification of themselves. And so when you're self-centered, even if you receive salvation, you keep living for self-centered, then whether you're aware of it or not, God becomes, God inside of you transforms into Baal. And so the moment you receive salvation, you needed to keep putting yourself to death. But if you don't put yourself to death, God becomes Baal inside of you. And so there are many aspects. But uh, one thing that is clear is that you will not have answers to your prayer. Why? Because God cannot answer the prayer of those who are selfish. As it says in the book of James chapter 1, that the reason why you don't receive is because you do not pray. And the reason why you don't pray is because you're looking for your pleasure. That you are praying for your own pleasure. So these kinds of people, God cannot answer. 
And so fundamentally, my relationship with God, if it's right, then no matter what I ask for, He will give. And because God knows that it's through those things that I live my life. And honestly, many essential things, God doesn't even need us to pray for because He knows I need it and He gives it. That is the proper relationship with God. But those people who are self-centered, they do not know the joy of answered prayer. That even though I pray, uh, every single time I pray, God answers. But if you're self-centered, you lose that blessing, you lose that joy. And there's some of you who, who think that, that oh, when, have God, when has God ever answered my prayer? When was the last time I even prayed? There are some of you amongst you that, that think this. Don't know the last time you pray and don't even remember the last time you received answers to your prayers. Right? That is the scary thing. It's a scary fact. We believe in the same God and yet one person uh, always gets rewarded and another person never gets anything and so your prayer gets weaker and weaker because you no longer feel the necessity to pray why? because you don't receive answers you, don't, you lose the joy of receiving from God and so this is the danger of deification of the self so let's continue and so because they make their own idols it sets them up for destruction. This is the principle of things. That anything that I possess outside of God will cause my destruction, will be taken from me. Money that God did not allow, people that God did not allow, anything that I possess out of my desire will be taken from me. When that will be taken from me is a matter of time. But ultimately, at the end of, by the end of life, you will lose everything. And so look, ultimately, when you come on this earth, you come empty-handed, right? And, and you will leave empty-handed. And But when you are in God, it may seem as if you're leaving empty-handed, and yet there are treasures stored up for you in heaven. Amen? God says that he will reward you even for giving a cup of water to someone in his name. And so where is your life truly beginning? It truly begins in the kingdom of heaven. Amen? But if you try to gather things for yourself, store up things in your barns, when you die, no, you cannot take any of that with you. Uh, because I came from an unbelieving family, when my grandmother died, uh, in our burial rites was to put rice, grains of rice in the mouth of the dead body. So that, maybe so that she won't get hungry when she's in hell. <laughs> no, but, but my grandmother really loved to play poker. And so in her coffin, we put several decks of cards inside. So I was watching this and observing this, wondering if my grandmother would eat she couldn't eat. And I was wondering, would she play poker? No, she can't. She's dead. Right? She goes empty-handed. And not only does she go empty-handed, but when you go to hell, you lose everything, including your soul. And so when you live by your desires, you possess, you will take nothing. Even on this earth, you will be, everything will be taken from you. Look at... 
Look at uh, Jacob. He loses everything. It's when you live by the blessing of God that you truly enter glory. And so if you live self-centered, you will be left with nothing. So I don't understand why you're so focused on the self. It's because you are foolish. It's because you are stupid. Do not live for yourself. Okay, it will all be taken from you. It's all going to be destroyed. Verse 5. I have spurned your calf, O Samaria. And so remember that the calf was originally set up in Bethel and Dan. And calf is a symbol of prosperity, right? And so whether it's Baal or whatever idol it may be, ultimately, the goal of that idol is for prosperity. Right? Uh, you beg that idol so that you would have a successful harvest. Uh, you, you, you beg the idol for fertility, right? That's the focus of most idols, of all idols. And yet, God has spurned them. And so any prosperity that is created by the desires of man will never bring happiness. Please, please engrave this into your heart that it will all be taken from you. Everything that is not given by God will be taken from you. Look at Lot. When he was in Sodom and Gomorrah, he was a rich man, but all of it was taken from him. we got to open our eyes to this fact that God's reward alone remains eternal. Amen? It's the same thing with your children. If you try to raise your children out of your own desire, they will be taken from you. If you raise your son to be a mama's boy, he will never, he will never be the son you want him to be. Okay? He'll be taken from you. He'll be taken from you. It's, it's the principle of things. And so, the only thing you should leave to your children is faith and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That's the most important thing. And so, parents, this is what it means to be a parent. Uh, spiritually thinking, speaking. At the very least, parents, you need to understand, know how God wants to lead your children, right? And so when I gave my children their names, I didn't give it the just names based on my desires, but based on what God what God has in store for them. And so apart from what God wants from them, I never demanded anything from them. Even now, I don't say to them, study, uh, do better in your schooling. Why? Because I would rather cut off all the desires of Babylon. I never, I never demanded of them the things of Babylon. Some of them have experienced college, but it's because God it's because God wanted them to go. I didn't send them to college because I wanted them to get an education. And even now, they're trying to quit. They don't want to go to school. But listen carefully, brothers. 
And so your life and the life of your children, you need to understand from the point, uh, the, you need to see the track of their life from the eyes of God. If not, you're going to keep adding the things of Babylon and you're just going to shackle them down. And so my, uh, my anger burns against them. And so look, what we see is that all the prosperity of idolatry will be taken from them, will be removed, it will lead to destruction. Right, look at all the families of the of the Chebols in, in Korea. They all fight each other over money. They all fight each other and get lost in drugs. And there's not a single one of them that has not gone through a divorce. And so what they possess is causing uh, destruction in their lives. Do you not see this? Can you not see this? You got to see the, the principle of life. That everything that we take out based on our desires will be taken from us. Not only will it be taken from us, but it will be the cause of our destruction. And so the, uh, uh, the way of life is clear. And especially if you go down the path that God doesn't want you to go, if you meet with people that God doesn't want you to meet, if you keep going in the direction that God doesn't desire, that will cause critical damage to your life. And so 33 years ago when I met with God, God showed me the, 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 the track of my life. And I've never strayed to the left or to the right. What do we call this? We call this commitment. I am committed to the measure that God has given me. As I was doing Zoe ministry, many people have invited me to do conferences with them, but I did not go. Why? Because I'm committed to Zoe ministry and Yerban church. So I didn't go anywhere else. There was twice. It was because God allowed me to go tw those during that time. One time I went to a conference in, in, in the Methodist assembly. Uh, I was the keynote speaker at the Methodist Assembly of Gyeonggi Province. But anyways, and let's continue. And so we need to realize that it will be taken from us. How long will they be incapable of innocence? What does it say? Remember, this is all in the context of syncretism. And so Israel is is polluted by prosperity and fertility worship and serving God. They need to offer this sacrifice for atonement, and yet, instead of being cleansed by that atonement sacrifice, they are storing up wrath. And so look at how delicate the worship is. If you offer worship in a place that is just saturated in religion, the spirit of religion, it doesn't matter what you do. All of it is going to lead to destruction. Whether you sing praises to God in that worship, whether you cry out to God, play the flute, whatever you may do. Uh, 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 uh. 
It doesn't matter what kind of songs you may sing, but in the place that God's Spirit is, if, if you mix the sacred with the sacrilege, you will die. That sin gets stored up and stored up and stored up. And so, the only requirement for worship and the utmost requirement for worship is in spirit and in truth. If you are not in spirit and in truth and you worship God, that is sin. What is spirit? It is the spirit of God. And then what is truth? It is the word of God. And so, these two things alone allow me to offer up worship that is pleasing to God. And so, if I worship in spirit, what does that mean? It means that I'm covered in the righteousness of the blood of the Lamb. That I am worshiping God according to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And if I am in the presence of the Holy Spirit, what does that mean? That means heaven is touching earth. And so, in my heart, the burnt offering, the atonement offering, the, the, the wave offering, the blessing offering, all of these offerings are being offered within my heart. And then the truth does what? It confirms all of these. And so these are the only two factors you need to consider in worship. That only these two things is what God is seeking when he seeks worship. And these two things are the only conditions to offer up true worship. Without this, worship will lead you to sin. Without these things. How can we draw near to God without confirmation of righteousness? You will die. And so if you're saturated in the world, saturated in your sins, and then come Sunday and, and present yourself to God filled with your sins, then of course your worship will not come alive. Of course you will not see yourself coming alive. And so understand that even though they are offering this atonement sacrifice, their sins are not being wiped away. It's not being cleansed because they are so mixed. They are syncretic with the things of the world. Remember, worship must be offered in spirit and in truth. Amen? So let's continue. Verse 6. For it is from Israel a craftsman made it. And so what is an idol? An idol is made by the hands of man. And it is an impersonal thing. It's simply wood. It's a piece of wood. But when man puts meaning in it, significance in it, pours out their devotion to it, that's when a demon enters into that inanimate object. It's the same thing with your cell phone, right? Cell phone is impersonal. And yet, when you keep giving it attention, you keep giving it care, you keep putting significance upon it, you keep getting friendlier and friendlier with it, pouring out your emotions into it, then the spirit of the world and the devil will enter into that, into, enter into that phone. And when that happens, your cell phone is a demon. That's why you need to keep sprinkling the blood of Christ upon it. It's the same thing with money. Any inanimate object in this world, any impersonal thing in this world, if you pour out your devotion to it, you can personify it. There are many of you who love dogs and cats. If you keep putting significance upon dogs and cats, a demon will enter into it. 100% there will be the spirit of immorality. 100% I said. 
If you're not going to eat it, why raise it? Why domesticate it? Right? <laughs> Did I say the wrong thing? Are there people here who are animal rights activists? Uh, am, I being, am I doing cruel and inhumane things? And so especially Christians, time is better spent elsewhere. There's no need to waste your time raising pets. When I was in Jeju Island, I had a dog. But that dog, I didn't spend time with it. I just, it was just there on my lawn. And, every, and, and when I had that dog, I didn't spend that much time. And yet, I felt like I wasted too much time on that dog. You know, I had to wash it. I had to feed it. And so, brothers, what am I saying? Don't waste time with pets. You don't even have enough time to love other men, right? And yet, why raise dogs and cats? That in itself is sin. And so, when I am asking you politely, please get rid of your dogs. There is this lady who lives below me, on the floor below me. I think she I think she is like an animal rights activist because she feeds the cats all over this neighborhood and since there's people like that you can just kick your dog out of the house and other people will feed it don't worry why keep feeding dogs that you're not going to eat okay so just get rid of it and and with that time that you spend with your dogs pray and also if you have these pets you should raise it well right and so you have to spend time with that dog and then you have to spend money on that dog right there's people starving all over the world why waste money on dogs stop personifying these impersonal things this is really important Okay, there is nothing important outside in this world outside of God and, and people. Only these two things are worthy of love. I'm not saying to not take care of them. Of course, we have to take care of this world, but don't love it. Okay, we cannot love it. Why? Because love comes from God. And when the love of God enters into me, it becomes clear who I should love. God and then other people. There is no there, love does not flow anywhere else. Love doesn't go towards impersonal things. And so, brothers, you need to recognize this. And so what else does it say? It is from Israel. And so, the nuance of this phrase is that something impossible has happened, right? How can Israel make an idol? 
That's what it's saying. Something that was impossible is being done by Israel. It's not a, it is not God. The calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. Remember, this is the calf that represents prosperity, right? And so it's going to be broken to pieces. All of it will be taken from them. Through warfare, they're going to be pillaged. They thought that money was the best thing, but that money does not protect them. Rather, that money invites uh, danger. And you got to see uh, the vanity uh, of all of these things. Look at Tesla, right? You know that company, right? And look at the vanity of the value of, of stocks, right? Tesla goes up and down uh, overnight. It's the same thing with money, with currency. Look at dollar. At times, the dollar, because dollar was so strong against one, many people are buying dollars. But when that when that trade uh, when that exchange rate goes down, all of a sudden people lose thousands of dollars, right? And and when they lose thousands of dollars, they are ruined overnight. They go bankrupt overnight, right? And so Hyundai, it might be sold for $1,000 today, but that's $1,000 tomorrow is different value. And what we'll see at the end of times is that money will be so inflated that it'll just simply be a piece of paper. That is what the 666 is all about. That everything that you possess becomes utterly worthless. Look at Argentina. Argentina it, if you earn money today, you have to use it all today. Why? Because tomorrow, it's not worth what it was today. And so what this is of uh, a taste of what is to come, that everything I possess becomes absolutely nothing. And so what we must understand is that only in faith will we survive. For example, let's look at Korea. If while Korea is connected to the one world order, to this global system, we may be rich, right? It's the same thing with Singapore, right? It applies to Singapore as well, right? As we are intimate in this global economy, we are rich. But because I'm continually engaging in spiritual warfare, there will come a time where that relationship will be cut. And when that when that happens, this nation will lose lots of value overnight. And so I'm seeking whether this is God's will or not. Is it God's will to bring us into poverty? Right? Because that's the only way we can be separated from the Antichrist. But if we have relationship with this global economy, we'll continue to grow rich. So I'll talk about this when I get into um, the end times to eschatology. But, but I'm, I'm asking God and looking for his will because what is the technology that the uh, Antichrist is investing in? Right, so... Right, I've been saying that we need to focus not on memory chips, but on computation, on system on a chips, foundries, right? 
So yeah, um, Korea is known for memory, right? Like NAND flash and and memory drives. But but what's more important are 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 CPUs, right? Where Taiwan makes lots of things. <coughs> And the future is not in supercomputers, but in quantum computing. And so any young adults want to get into quantum physics and quantum mechanics? Okay, because this person will get to meet the Antichrist face to face. Would you like to get into quantum mechanics? Raise your hand if you want to meet the Antichrist. Okay, I think I think I'm telling, t talking to you of too many complicated things. Okay, so let's look at verse seven to ten. So let's see the judgment that's going to come upon Israel. Verse seven: For they sow the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. So this is the result of serving idols. They served idols in order for their prosperity, in order for their fertility. Because remember, at this time, it was a largely agrarian society, right? And yet, they do not reap the harvest. And so, and so that means everything is in vain because either way they're going to reap nothing but wind. And this is the method of the kingdom of heaven. It's not I reap what I sow. It's not about reaping what I sow. But even if I reap one thing, I can uh, sow one thing, I can reap 30, 60, 100. So there are many reasons why we should live for the, by the kingdom of God. But just from this fact alone, we should see right that God did not create us to be men of work. That doesn't mean to be lazy, brothers. I'm not telling you to be lazy. No. No. Our, our original design is to serve God. But we, in order to serve God, do I need to work hard in order to make a living? No. So this is what needs to be clear. If you pour out all your energy into the world and unable to pray even a minute, that means that you are being deceived. It's the same thing with offering. Okay, you do not offer after you've already sp you spent all your expenses. Okay, my uncle lived like this. Okay, but what it is is after giving to God, you use the remainder that's left over. It's the same thing in the spiritual things. After praying, committing, and dedicating to God, then the remaining time you spent in your work. And I'm not commanding you a special rule. No, this is how God created man to function. Our, our, our occupation is to serve God. And so why leave your main occupation for a side job? And so, brothers, you need that faith. That is what needs to be clearly engraved inside of you and understand that this is God's will for you. Because if not, then everything will be taken from you. Imagine, let's say I have 51% of a company's stock. 
That means that I have the deciding control for that company, right? It's the same thing to you. If 51% of your energy is in the world, that means that world possesses you, controls you. And so at least 51% of my life's motivation, of my life's methodology needs to be in God. That's what I say to my businessmen, to the businessmen at our church all the times. Whether it's you are working with a country contract or, 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 or working with some large company who has control of that project, it needs to be you. Even now, that's how they're moving. That's how they're moving. Because at any time, if God wants them to stop, they need to be able to stop. And so, uh, because if God doesn't want it, we shouldn't continue in that contract, right? And so I've said this multiple times. If you look at the company Ant in our church, the moment that that company began, there was a contract from Samsung that was offered. It was tendered. And that, was, that would make lots of money, right? But what they asked was was that they wanted the controlling uh, controlling um, amount. And so I told them, don't do it. You need to have the blade in your hands, not in their hands. This must be clear, brothers. As children of God, we need to be able to stop and give up according to the will of God. Do not give the controlling factor, uh, the controlling stake to the, to the world. Because the world will eventually demand you to commit wickedness, to commit sin. Because money is not what ensures our survival. And our companies aren't established for the purpose of making money. No, our companies are established for to reveal the glory of God. And so I I say to the companies of our church every day, it's okay if you are bank, you go bankrupt. Just do it according to the will of God and just look good while doing it. Do not give the controlling stake to the world. You need to have faith. This is the faith you need to have, brothers. Why would you give the controlling stake to the world? We have the authority to rule over this entire universe, right? Same thing applies to you, brothers. Do not give the, the controlling stake to the world. And so in verse 7, they sow the wind and they shall reap the whirlwind. And so what does it mean to sow the wind? It means that they are sowing vanity. And what does it reap? It reaps calamity. It reaps tragedy. And so if you use the example of, if you use the example of farming, right, uh, the wind is what's being, is the seed, right, because the seed goes, but you reap the whirlwind. Means that you're left with nothing, right? You have nothing and you are left with nothing. So when you're contaminated with the world, living for the prosperity of this world, you need to understand that it's all in vain. Would you rather not invest in the world, or not in the world, in God that seems like you have nothing in this world, but when his kingdom comes, you have stores of treasure? And so brothers, do not reap or do not sow in the world, amen? And the standing grain has no heads. 
And so even though they sow, it, the, the grain does not have any head. It shall yield no flower. And even, and even if it yields flowers, strangers would devour it. And so look, the, 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 this describes how everything is in vain. And so this word sw- would devour it, right? Swallow it, would absorb it. And so if you live by the world, you will see that all your holiness, everything that you have that sets you apart as a child of God will be taken from you. So wherever you go in this world, wherever you may be, you need to be acknowledged in your holiness, right? Your holiness needs to be manifest. That doesn't mean that you go out proselytizing to the peoples, right, on purpose. No. Christians, wherever they go, their lifestyle will reveal their holiness. Right? Look at Joseph. Wherever Joseph goes, people acknowledge that God is with him. And, and as time goes by, we see that, that Joseph is, it becomes center of everything. This doesn't come out of your efforts, but as you worship God and you are holy, this happens. And so these two things must be clear in your life. And so either the people around you get upset or everything becomes centered around you. It's got to be one or the other. If it's not one or the other, that means already you stench of the world. That the pollution of this world devours you. That's what this means, devour. That that you have been absorbed into the world. And so I use this word spiritual osmosis, right? That if my holiness is greater than the world, the world will, through osmosis, receive my holiness. But if my holiness is weaker than the world, then through osmosis, I absorb the contamination of the world and it will devour me. That you will be absorbed into the world. And so young adults who go out into the world, be careful. Whether you're aware of it or not, one or the other is happening. And so is your holiness seeping out into the world? Or are you rather absorbing the world? It's one or the other. You cannot say that, oh, it's equal, it's about 50-50. No, that's not possible. That's why I say do not mix. Christian victory comes from no compromise. Are you listening, brothers? In this conference, God is showing you the essence of wickedness, showing you the essence of the, the filth of this world. Let's continue. And so in verse 7 it says that strangers would devour, but then in verse 8 it says Israel is already swallowed up. They are already swallowed up. That everything has been absorbed. And that means that everything that set them apart as God's chosen people has been taken from them, has been completely overshadowed. That they were to be a nation of priests, but they lost that nobility. They've lost that dignity. 
that Israel is no longer Israel. Israel is swallowed up. Already they are among the nations as a useless vessel. Right, look at how funny, how ironic this, this phrase is. That already they are among the nations. Meaning that there's no difference. Nothing sets them apart. You are the church. What's the difference between you and me? Are you a Christian? The only difference is that I sleep in on Sunday and you take your Bible and go to Sunday. Apart from that, you are the same as me. That's what this is. That's what this verse is saying. That everything is the same except for one thing, which is that Gentiles sleep in on Sunday and we go to church on Sunday. That's the only difference. But apart from that, your motivations are the same, your, your desires are the same. And so, look, they're losing their distinction as sanctified people. Right? The ground you stand on is holy ground, so take off your shoes. What does that mean? It's not because that ground is holy, it's because where I am is holy. And so, not because of what I do, but as I receive the holiness of God, the holiness of God just influences everything around me. So, wherever I go, if you look at the restaurants that I, I, I frequent, uh, these people will always say to me, Oh, Pastor, lots of customers came after your visit. Last Friday, I went to a salon, and there was nobody there when I, when I arrived. But after I got arrived, six, seven customers came in. And then so she said to me, Wow, Pastor, again, many customers came because of you. And so this may seem insignificant, but that's the influence that we have. Really, going beyond that, there was a restaurant that I went to that off gave an offering to the church, even though he was an unbeliever. Why? Because whenever I would go, he, he recognized that he was being blessed. And tomorrow, I'm going to be going to a meat uh, restaurant with the pastors tomorrow. And the, the manager of the place always says to me oh, that we are blessed because of you, Pastor. It gets so busy when we're there. Really, this is true. <coughs> the influence of the blessing, the influence of holiness. This is true prosperity, right? The, the essence of what we've been talking about in the blessing ministry this year, right? That wherever I go, God is made manifest, right? This comes from holiness, the blessing of prosperity. When we are not mixed with the world, when we are not contaminated with the world, this comes. And so let's continue, brothers. Verse 9. Four. For they have gone up to Assyria, a wild donkey wandering alone. And so who is Israel? Israel are those who walk with God. So you do not wander alone. You are with God. God is with you, right? God is always with you. The Trinity is always with you. You need to believe in this presence. You need to feel this presence. And in that presence, you need to see God's dominion over your life. 
But look here. Because they are influenced by the world, they are contaminated by the world, Israel is like a wild donkey wandering alone. Meaning that he goes wherever he pleases. Right? In Jeremiah, it says that Israel is like a mare in heat, going wherever she wants. Right? What was the curse that came upon Cain after he murdered his brother? Right? To wander the earth. And you may think that, why is that even a curse? How is that punishment? But you need to understand that before Cain murdered Abel, he had evil in his heart, and yet God was with him, right? And so those of you who have raised children, you will know this, right? That no matter what kind of misdeeds they do, no matter what trouble they cause, it's because the mom is next to them that, that they can do that. But if mom is gone, they're afraid. They don't know what to do. And they cannot do anything. All they do is scream and cry, right? Is that not funny? Oh, I was saying this to elicit laughs. But really, it's when the mother's presence is felt that they can play around. And this is something I've said a lot. Okay, that even though Cain was filled with evil, he was surviving because God's presence was with him. But now God says to him, wander the earth. That is terrifying. It's terrifying because for the first time, he is going to get out of God's presence. And then as he gets used to it, uh, he, 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 he starts to create more evil. But at first, it is terrifying, terrifying, because for the first time in the history of man, man is without God's presence. Why are we so filled with confidence? Why are we strong? Because my father, who is the most mighty of all, is next to me. So brothers, look look here, look here. Are you sleepy? Are you drowsy? It's only, it's only 1223. Yeah, I thought it was going to be over tomorrow, and so my energy is being sapped, and yet and yet I'm I'm still so diligent. Okay, you guys got to yearn and absorb it, absorb it. You too as well, okay? You absorb it. I need to feel my soul being sucked out from me into you. Okay, so let's continue. Okay, I'm speaking something very important. And so look. It is, you need to understand that a life that is separate from God is terrifying. The fact that you cannot feel that terror is proof that your spirit is dying. Can you feel gravity? But when you come to the door of death, you will feel the weight of that gravity. Truly. It's because you are healthy that you do not feel the weight of gravity. You do not, and, and because you are used to this pressure, it doesn't feel like a burden. It's the same thing. As you get accustomed, accustomed to living without God's presence, you don't realize how terrifying it is. That's what happens to Cain. That's why he creates the world. And so if you say that, oh, I'm not under God's presence, but I'm not terrified, then this is a very dangerous situation. 
And so as I said earlier, when we were praying, those who truly understand the feeling of freedom, the moment they lose that freedom, it is, it is oppressive to them, right? And so those who feel the presence of God in prayer, when they pray and that presence isn't there, it becomes oppressive. This you need to clearly be able to distinguish. That when you pray and God's righteousness covers over you, then God's presence needs to immediately come upon you. This doesn't come from special spirituality. And so look, uh, my children, whether I have my eyes directly on them or not, my, they are in my mind at all times, right? Now, that doesn't mean I actively think of them 24 hours a day, but, but for example, let's say that lunchtime comes. Oh, did they eat? Or, for example, like, why don't they call? In this way, uh, they always in my mind, whether they're aware of it or not. And so when they recognize it, I'm grateful because they know that I, I love for them. Although I don't think that, the, I don't know how much they recognize this, but... <laughs> But who is God then? God is someone who transcends space and time. And so in faith, I continually receive his interest, his countenance. And because I have this relationship of father and son with him, he is always with me. But if this disappears, you should be terrified. If you are not filled with the Holy Spirit, you should be terrified. This is the natural way of things. And so feeling his presence isn't some kind of super spiritual, mysterious thing. No, it is normal to live with that presence. And so if you cannot feel that, that is proof that you have been so accustomed to living without his presence. That without his presence, you are okay. And if we expand on this concept, it means that something outside of God, something from Babylon, gives you life. That I have money, or maybe, you know, my, I have my health, or maybe I have some kind of position. I think that these um, streams of Babylon are, are, is providing me life. Look at David. Even when he was king, if he doesn't pray and God doesn't answer his prayer, he doesn't act, right? You see it in Psalms. But think about it. The king can do whatever he wants. And yet, even though he's king, he only acts when God moves. And so it says that David relied upon God. And so if you look at Psalms 51, he sins with Bathsheba, right? And even in, as he's repenting of that, how does he pray? He doesn't pray, Lord, protect my kingdom. No. David doesn't care about his own kingdom. 
in that sense. He says, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Restore unto me your Holy Spirit. Restore unto me an upright spirit. It's the presence of God, the presence of God. Without that presence, David can't do anything, even though he is the king of the nation. Before the nations, he bows down before the before God, and 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 even though all the all the people uh, hang on his every word, that is not where he finds his worth. His worth is in the presence of God. That Lord, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Do not take away from me your Holy Spirit. Restore unto me a right spirit. And so, brothers, look at how much you are unaware of what's normal. Of what's normal, it's not. Feeling the presence is not what's extraordinary. It's very ordinary. Amen? And so look, this freedom, this true joy that is in the presence of God, at the very least, you need to experience it once. That way you could taste it. That, ah, this is how I'm to live. And that whenever I lose these things, you would feel the torture, the oppressive, and going beyond that, the terror of those things. That way you would return. Return as quickly as possible. Get back to fullness of the Holy Spirit. Get back under the Spirit. Then you get to the point where it becomes impossible to live by your thoughts. And as you habitualize living in His presence, it becomes impossible for you to live by your thoughts. You are maximizing the measure of holiness in your life. And as you maximize it, these people need to be careful. Because the moment they live by their thoughts, there's greater danger. Right? David, it happened to David. Right? Look at David. At the end of his life, he took a census. Right? Send a census to see how many fighting men are available to Israel. Why is this a sin? Why is this so wicked in the eyes of God? And yet God is enraged. Why? Because you live by everything that I give, and yet why are you all of a sudden living by your thoughts? You need to be punished. And so I will give you one of these three punishments. Will you be chased by your enemies? Or there will be a famine? Or for three days, a plague will outbreak? And yet, how does David respond? That, Lord, I do not want to suffer at the hands of man. Lord, I, if I suffer, I suffer in your hands, so give us the plague. And in one day, uh, 800,000 people die. Was it 80,000 or 800? Anyways, lots of people die in one day. As the measure of holiness grows, when David lives by his thoughts, he's completely ruined. And so many of you, even though you live by your thoughts, you are not being destroyed like this, right? What does that mean? <laughs> that means that you are not yet characterized by living in his presence if you, if you are characterized by living in his presence you will not be able to live by your thoughts even in your prayer most of your prayer are not our prayers that God cannot receive because they are prayers in your thoughts remember as we were praying earlier I said don't do it in your thoughts pray in the fullness of the Holy Spirit pray in the Spirit 
But because you pray in your thoughts, God cannot receive it. Why? Because prayer, eventually you need to enter into the fullness of the Holy Spirit and pray according to how the Holy Spirit leads you. And so, see today what is ordinary and what is extraordinary. Or, actually, extraordinary is not a good word. Better is like what is strange and what is ordinary. And then, so, Ephraim has hired lovers, continuing in verse 9. And so, it's describing what what Israel is doing as a prostitute earning her wages. Right? And so these lovers could be their idols or it could be the nations that they are, that they are, um, 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 what's it called, trying to be friendly with. So moving on to verse 10. Though they hire allies among the nations, I will soon gather them up. And so they offer tribute to, to be allies with great nations. But God destroys these nations. Uh, God destroys Israel through those very nations. So I thought it is this the same uh, principle as I thought I would be happy because of money, but money causes my suffering. Okay. Nothing that uh, is apart from God can be a blessing. Money outside of God, people outside of God, this will become a thorn at your side, for sure. Amen. So young adults, you're living in a time of full of um, passion, right? And so don't lose that passion to members of the opposite sex. Okay, a proper wedding is God brings you your spouse. And honestly, the best thing I've done in my life is meeting God. And the second thing is getting married to my wife. And really, God brought her to me. And what I proclaimed to the church the day before is that I will be celibate because I, I fell in love with Paul. And so I proclaimed that my celibacy, but the very next day, I saw a woman. God brought her to me. And so because of my pride, I couldn't talk to her right away. But this is what true um, dating is about. Don't chase people in your passions. Because it's not God-given, there will be a time of suffering. And so I don't know if you're aware of your state or not. But if you're strong in the spirit of the world, you will meet someone who is strong in the world. If you are strong in immorality, you're going to meet someone with who has equal strength in immorality and fight with that person every day. Now, it'd be great, and there is significance if through that person you can humble yourself before God. But that's not God's best design. That will not allow you to go down God's track for your life. 
Because apart from your parents, your spouse is going to give you the most influence in your life. And so you need to give holy influence to each other, right? Between you, there should be the Holy Spirit. But if it's immorality, then this is torture. You cannot go down God's path. And so that's my position when I look at you. That if, that if that's the case, don't get married. That, look, if you can't, if you can't reign in your passions whatsoever, then it's okay. Go ahead. Is that the reason why you got married, sister? No, right? Okay. I just wanted to check, that's all. And the kings and princes shall soon writhe because of the tribute. Meaning that they're going to offer tribute to these great nations, right? And this tribute should enter into your eyes very wide. If, if you live by Babylon, if you live by the world, constantly chasing after prosperity, you would think that your life would be prosperous. And yet the amazing fact, the ironic fact, is that the more you live by the world, the more that burden uh, gets put upon you. If you earn more money, you should get more comfortable. But the more money you make, the more problems you have. Because, that, because you love that money, that money became a demon inside of you. And so as it says in Romans 8, that you are no longer indebted to the flesh. We are not beings who are, who are, lived, who are to live indebted to the flesh. And so no matter what work line of work you get into in this world, don't allow the burden of the flesh to, to weigh you down. I'm a pastor, right? If pastor becomes my life's purpose, then it becomes a burden. And so whatever you do, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And don't allow any uh, doors to open for burdens to, to, for you to be encumbered. For example, let's say this. I'm a father, and I need to provide for my family. But don't let that provision of your family become a burden. God will feed your family, not you. Now, of course, through your work, through your occupation, God can use that. But it's God who does it, not you. And so whatever it is in your life, don't allow it to open doors to the world. As I talked about earlier, your relationship with your spouse, this is a spiritual relationship. And this relationship, if you just have it as a relationship between flesh, then your wife becomes your burden. Your children becomes your burden. And then your wife or two women, your husband becomes your burden. And because you take all these burdens upon you at the end of your life, you get so encumbered that you cannot do anything. It's the same thing with pastoral ministry, right? After several years, you get so exhausted, you get burnt out that you can't even pray to God. And so remember, God did not design life for you to be encumbered with these burdens, especially since now, since Jesus Christ has taken all our burdens from us, right? Then why do you encumber yourself with these burdens? It's because the more you live by Babylon, the more you receive what the world gives, you're constantly burdening yourself, burdening yourself. And so do you know what burden is upon the young adults these days the most? Oh, okay. 
They have the um, uh, uh, bent back. I don't know what the what the medical term would be for this, but you know they're they're constantly being pressed down, and so they they have bad back. So that's why they're always hunched over with a turtleneck. And it's because you are not sensitive to this fact that you are unaware of it. But think about it. Let's say at 30 years, I, I got a career and I started making money. And so at first, this burden was, let's say, let's just say for arbitrarily, 100 kilometers. Or 100 kilograms. But 10 years later, that's a thousand kilograms. And then another 10 years later, this now becomes a hundred tons, right? Without without machinery, you can't move. And then another 10 years. Now you are completely one with the ground. You're on the floor. And so these kinds of people, what song do they like to sing? That I want to lay my burdens down at your feet. I want to lay my burdens down at your feet. And so shall we sing this song all together? That I want to lay down my burdens because I can bear it no longer. Verse 11 to verse 14. And now there he's describing the corrupted palace and and the corrupted temple and so these burdens are being multiplied and so you may think that oh this burden comes even though I'm without sin no burden is intimately tied with sins that if you live with the Holy Spirit and a holy life, you will not burden yourself. You will always be light on your feet, in your spirit. And so even though you believe what it means to come before the throne of grace, there are many of you who cannot draw near to the throne of grace. You don't understand what it means. And rather than uh, not knowing what it, uh, not believing that you are righteous, but rather it's because your spirit is so burdened, it's so weighty. My children are my weight, are my burden. My my wife is my burden. My my church is my burden. And so, so let's say that this applies to married people. What about you? You're not married, y'all adults. Why do you have so many burdens? Mm. But anyway, so young adults, why do you, why do you burden yourself? You should be, you should be able to offer your your month's salary to God. Why? Because if it's you, you can starve, right? And it's okay. But when you marry, it's not. It's no longer a simple fact of you starving for a month, right? But when you're a young adult, right, you can make that commitment. You can make that decision, right? You can you can uh, go hungry for a month, right? <laughs> Excuse me. Either way, I possess nothing, anyways, right? <laughs> Uh, a child breadwinner. Okay, but anyways. 
Okay. You are no longer in burden to the flesh. We live for the glory of God. I do not need to solve the flesh's problem. And so Malaysia, lay down your burdens. Lay down your burdens. Lay down your burdens. All of you, Malaysia. Okay, lay it down. Okay, Pastor Ivan, since you only have one son, you probably don't have very many burdens. And then Samuel is also very light, so he's not even much of a burden anyways. Okay, you take more burdens. <laughs> Okay, let's continue. Verse 12. Verse 11. Because Ephraim has multiplied altars for sinning. Altars are created to atone for sins, right? And yet it's multiplying sins. And it says that the altars were made for sins. Why? Because they have been contaminated by syncretism. The more they worship God, the more they sin. And so, worshiping God in the, in the context of being contaminated by the world is ultimately just sinning. Because the more you touch the holiness of God without His righteousness, you, you are committing sin. Right? And so they have become to Him altars for sinning. And so, religious rites, religious churches doesn't deal with sin, doesn't help solve the problem of sin, but rather causes them to sin even more. There's a lot of spiritual significance here, brothers. Through one worship, you meet with God, and through uh, His righteousness, as you are sanctified and purified and you are filled with the Holy Spirit, at the end of that worship, you should be filled with this commitment to not be to not lose to the world right at the end of that worship that's the kind of commitment that you should have the kind of even still you will probably sin but you have this desire to fight at the very least at the very least you will not sin the, that, that day right away right if you sin again that day then you have not been able to meet with God if you have meet with God then at the very least you will last until Monday and then on Tuesday you'll start to compromise and then Wednesday you'll probably choose that sin and then Thursday you'll be completely destroyed and then Friday you are exhausted and then Saturday you finally come back to your senses Oh, tomorrow's the worship. <laughs> and then so you beat your breast and repent. And then on Sunday, you meet with God again. God, I sinned against you and I don't want to sin anymore. I will be victorious this week. And through this process, you, have, you receive the strength to overcome sin. But if you fail to meet with God, or your worship in itself is religious, that church is a corrupted altar, then at the end of that worship, what will happen to that person? He may be, he is going to be filled with joy as well. Yes, the worship is over. But look, if you cannot taste that holiness, 
that one worship is actually multiplying your desires, right? Because in the midst of that worship, you're thinking of stupid thoughts. You're thinking of your own desires, your own impulses. And so you let yourself go into the current of evil that has been building up since Monday. And so when you come to a worship that cannot meet with that cannot meet with God, it just simply multiplies sin. That's what will happen. It for sure happens. And so in worship, we must meet with God because this alone gives us the strength to overcome sin. So continuing on, verse 12. Were I to write for him my laws by the ten thousands. Let's say God was to write laws by the ten thousands. Right? Look at the Bible. The Bible is filled with laws for such insignificant things. Look at the Old Testament. Does God have no time? Why does he write so clearly what Israel should eat? Oh, eat this, don't eat that. You can eat this, but not that. Why is he so obsessive? No, it's because of love. God is always observing everything you do. If a person was to do it, you would go crazy, right? Don't sit like that. Hey, you, don't eat that. Hey, don't wear that. Hey, don't speak like that. If a person was to control you like this, this person will go crazy after a month. But not with God. God, when he defines everything we do, we become at peace. We come to peace. And I don't need to research my behavior anymore. That's how much God is clearly laying out our lives for us. And not only does he provide the words, the written word, but he gives us the Holy Spirit to confirm that. That's how good and peaceful it is to live with God. And so... When we live with under God's control, it's true freedom. What is freedom? Freedom isn't doing as you please. No, freedom is saturation. Just as a fish is free when he's saturated in water, because you're saturated in the word of God, like it says in John 8, 2, that the truth shall set you free. That What does that mean? That means that the truth has completely encapsulated you. That you are completely saturated in the Holy Spirit. Listen carefully, brothers. Listen carefully. And so look. Those who fail to meet with God. Those who do not live by God. When God defines every aspect of their life, it will be uncomfortable for them. The fact that God is looking upon them, the fact that God knows them is uncomfortable. But if you live by God, this is freedom. Freedom itself. That God knows everything. God is looking at everything. That God is speaking of everything. That God is leading my everything. I don't need to do anything on my own. And so is comfort in itself. It's freedom itself. And so that's why you are so free and your body has gone so free. Okay, verse 13. Oh no, sorry. And they would be regarded as a strange thing. 
So back to verse 12. And so even though he write to him his laws by ten thousands, that's going to be regarded as a strange things, right? It, it shouldn't be strange to Israel. This is the happiness of Israel. That is the freedom of Israel. And this word strange comes out in Hebrews 12 as well. Right? That the uh, Gentiles looked at Abraham and considered him to be strange. Right? You're a rich man and yet why do you live in a tent? And as Abraham also looks at the Gentiles, why do you live so wickedly? Why are you so strange? And so, uh, our relationship to the world should be a relationship of strangers. Why? Because they are going in different directions. They are going to hell, and we are going to the kingdom of heaven. So we cannot be similar. And yet, Israel is thinks that God's word, God's law, is strange. It means they are no longer Israel. Verse 13. As for my sacrificial offerings, they sacrifice meat and eat it. This is talking about the peace offering, right? And so this is only uh, eating with the closest people to you. And that means the relationship that is most pleasing to you, most happy to you. And in that relationship, what does God say? That I will not accept it. Why? Because they are contaminated by syncretism, because they have been corrupted. Now he will remember their iniquity. And so remember, when, inic- when sin is dealt with, God does remember your, God re- no longer remembers your iniquity. But it's because you are dead to the spiritual self. You're dead spiritually. That's why you don't recognize this. But really, when you uh, are burdened by sin, it is terrifying because you never know when God's judgment will come. But of course, God's amazing love brings me to repentance. But even if you reach bottom line, at the very least, you should have this fear. This fear, this fear will will lead you to repent. That is true reverence of God, right? If not, if not, then you cannot live like this at all. And so, I will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt. What does it mean that they will return to Egypt? It means that their salvation has been canceled. They're going back to their slavery. Because God saved them from Egypt, right? And has given them the dignity of being kings. But they're going back to slavery. And so, living within the world will leave you with nothing. And so, let us awaken ourselves to all the deception of Babylon, brothers. We are not suffering because we lack the things of Babylon. We are not suffering because we are not living according to what Babylon wants. No, that's all lies. It's because we do not live by what God, by God. The more we live by Babylon, the more we are in, uh, we are, um, the more we are indebted to the flesh. The more we mix, the more we will die. This must be clear to you. Amen? So let's continue. Verse 14. We're almost finished. Verse 14. 
For Israel has forgotten his maker. And so what does it mean that forgotten? It means that they, are un- they have not met with God. God is life. He alone is our Abba Father. And when you maintain this relationship, you are in his presence. And you are experiencing him. But whether it's money or a person and it becomes life to you, that person is in a state where he has forgotten his maker because they're living self-centered. And so whether God is pleased or not, whether God desires it or not, they can no longer be aware of it. They're completely removed from that. They live according to their desires, according to their impulses. They have forgotten his maker. And so what happens because he has forgotten his maker? He builds palaces. That means that he's trying to establish his own dominion. This is clear evidence that he is influenced by Babylon. Because he's living the same way as Babylon does, which worships strength. And so if you live by the world and you're emburdened by the debt of the flesh, then two things will be clear in your life. That when you possess those things, you'll be arrogant. But when you don't possess those things, you'll be... um, You'll be... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, anyways, you'll be, you'll be, you'll be depressed, and so that's why I say powerlessness and and van and arrogance is the same root. If you have, you are arrogant. If you don't have, you are powerless. Because there's always someone stronger than you in the world, right? There's always the risk of losing. There's always the risk of being pillaged. And so you are always burdened. You are always oppressed. And so through Babylon, you know, you are constantly opening the doors to sin. And so that's why I say, if you don't live by faith, everything is sin. And Judah has multiplied fortified cities. Same thing as built palaces, right? Like Lachish, right? Relying on their military strength, thinking that that will secure them. But what does God say? So I will send a fire upon his cities and it shall devour her strongholds. Everything that you possess by your strength will never bring happiness to your life. You will lose it all. It will all be taken from you. This is the principle of life. Principle. It is a principle. Open your eyes, brothers, to this fact. We need to live by God and God alone. Amen? We need to be in His presence. We need to be in His dominion. And right now, we are living in a time that is more sensitive. If you do not live by God alone, then you are losing everything. But if you live by God, then above any other time, you are receiving more limitless glory. And so your, your, so the decision is clear, right? What you should do is clear. And so let us pray. Let us pray, brothers. Okay, uh, because I've been attacking the world so much, your eyes have gone, your eyes have gone dead. You all look like dead fish. Look at the person next to you. If their eyes are like dead fish, 
put, uh, give them eye drops. If you don't have eye drops, you know, you could always use your spit. Why are you all like, why are you all like dead fish? As I finish the sermon, you are all like dead fish. Let's pray, let's pray. High schoolers, come on. Do you still want to live by the world? Even now? Wow. Such obstinance. Still, Yezong, you want to live by the world? Be honest. I want you to be honest. What say you? What say you, Changzong? Changmin. Where's Changzong? Changnyeonyeo, he's a young adult now. Oh, he's, he's promoted. Let us pray. Lord, we want to pray for one thing today. Lord, thank you for the good lunch. Okay, we want to pray for one thing. And what is it? Lord, through this conference, let me see clearly that living by the world is being indebted to the flesh. And I see clearly right now that there's many of you whose your direction in life will change. Why? Because you have so many burdens and you need to lay it down. And so some of you are going to quit your jobs. Some of you are going to change your direction completely. Uh, All of you child um, breadwinners. You need to lay that burden down. These people have this burden that I feed my family. But because of that, they rot away and their family doesn't get any better. And so as I'm listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit right now, there's many of you who have taken too much of a burden. And so through today's prayer, you need to make a commitment that, Lord, I will lay this burden down. I will live by your presence. That I will no longer live by Babylon. That by the power of the blood, that all my debt to the flesh has been dealt with. That I no longer have to live by the flesh. I live for the glory of God. I live for glory and glory alone. That I will not be mixed with the world. I will not be mixed with the world. Do not be deceived. You are dying because you are not living by God. It's not because you lack things of the world. More anointing, Lord. You need commitment. Let their life change. Let their life's track completely change. May they be light on their feet. That they will lay all their burdens down. That they will lay all their burdens down. May their life be readjusted to you. This is not how we are to live. Come upon them, Lord. Bring your presence, Lord. Blood of Jesus. Yeah.